Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney, here with GameSpeed's special Slime Lung correspondent, Rowan Kaiser. Really tempted to cough right now. Yeah, you actually have a case of the Slime Lung yeah. uh, this week, as it turns out. Uh, we're also joined by Nicole Clark, freelance writer and uh, one of my favorite people I've worked with over at Vice. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. Really excited to be on the pod with you this week. So this week we've been lost deep beneath the surface in Clay's Oxygen Not Included, a ill-fated space colony management game uh, that I've sort of been beating my head against for the past couple weeks. Uh, And Nicole, actually in some ways I think this is your fault because you wrote a piece for us uh, that did a really good job of selling me on this game, but you said up front it was kind of tough to figure out and parse and get into, but uh, nevertheless, I, I was still unprepared for how mercilessly this game would uh, send my colony just t- into fatal, gruesome tailspins. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about like what is Oxygen Not Included? There's a, there's a lot of city builders uh, management games out there. What what kind of is, is the main thrust of Oxygen Not Included? So your intro about it being merciless is just completely right. It's it's basically a base building sim, but I would also call it almost an engineering sim. So you have these little duplicates, which are characters that have ray guns that allow them to do things like building and breaking down little cubes of area. And so you're dropped off in this land, and the game is called Oxygen Not Included. So oxygen is a limited resource, and you find out that basically everything is a limited resource, and you need to get your duplicates, you know, a reliable supply of food, a reliable supply of, of course, oxygen. And you do this by assigning building tasks in a kind of Minecraft way. And as you complete these building tasks, it yields itself into this game where you have all these different trees where you can advance technology. But for every resource you use up, it's part of this ecosystem that eventually depletes something else. So an example would be, to generate oxygen, you can use something called an algae converter. But algae is a limited resource, and so is electricity. And the way you generate electricity very early on is by having this kind of hamster wheel that your duplicates can run on, right? And so you might think, oh, let me just bring in more duplicates. But the more duplicates you bring in, the more food they consume, the more oxygen they consume. So you're constantly running to patch up these little problems. And sometimes really silly things happen, like you're doing a dig and you realize the one cube below your water reservoir is made of sand. All of a sudden, the sand breaks Without you being able to anticipate it, you flooded your entire area. The sand, or I mean, the water attracts carbon, which your dupes can't breathe, and then suddenly you have a suffocating dupe. And all of this happened at the end of a build. You've maybe dedicated, you know, a couple days, and each day I want to say is 10 or so minutes in the game. And so let's say you're a couple hours in, this kind of thing could be devastating, but it's so darkly comic it kind of pulls you back into it in an almost Frostpunk kind of way, which I know that you've written about or you made a video about that was really funny. This is very much uh, one of the better survival strategy games along the the 
path of your rimworlds and your dwarf fortresses, uh, the two things that I think separate it out the most are, as Nicole said, like there's a lot more engineering in it. Um, I mean that that can be part of Dwarf Fortress, but it's a little a little more upfront in Oxygen Not Included, like how to make your electricity and your water and your air pipes all like function together, and you know automating and building circuits and that kind of thing. Uh, that gives it a bit of a, a Minecraft tinge for the advanced Minecraft players. And the other thing is that it feels a lot more like you're building an ecosystem, a single ecosystem where. Any one thing that goes wrong can make everything go wrong, as opposed to like a Rimworld or Dwarf Fortress where you're building a bunch of interlocking systems, and you can have individual ones go wrong, and then you're in trouble, but it doesn't feel like each part of it is the whole thing on the verge of collapse. It feels like a, a series of little collapses in those games. In this one, there's there's just one ecosystem. And in this one, it's sometimes hard to anticipate when that might happen, like at the point you figure out what's happening, it's basically too late. Like your duplicates are starving and you're not going to grow crops in the few hours it'll take to help them survive. That's something that you had to have laid the groundwork for a couple days in game ahead in order to provide for your duplicates. And then it's well, just system-wide collapse. Well, maybe at least in the beginning, the learning curve is so steep. Yes. I mean, I... One of the interesting things about this game is that it has like a fairly specific ladder in terms of how you like go up it and learn the game. Um, like the first thing that you generally have to do is like get a bathroom. That's your, that's your, <laughs> your first goal. Second goal is like probably oxygen production. Uh, then then you have to start worrying about food production. Then you have to start worrying about like making sure you have enough water and. Like, each one of these is a fairly consistent step that you take across every single one of the Oxygen Not Included uh, campaigns. But, um, like, depending on the map, depending on the duplicates you get, this may change in ways that could be kind of terrifying. And, like, when I have played it, uh, I've gotten really good at doing, like, the first ten steps, and then I just get bored when they start getting super engineering heavy. But some of those first ten steps are pretty damn interesting to try to get get through. And like there's there's like multiple chapters of this game, and I have focused almost entirely on like the first chapter of getting the basic needs met. Um, and then after that it starts getting really wild. I think one of the things that I find really interesting in this game and maybe this is, I, I haven't played Rimworld, I haven't messed around too much with Dwarf Fortress, so maybe this is a feature of this particular type of uh, Masso Manager type game, but um, this is not a game that, there. there's a comment you made a moment ago, Nicole, about like, if you realize that you've gotten your food projections wrong, you actually can't pull it out there at the last second very easily. And a lot of city managers, for instance, or uh, like business sims, usually they do give you, they, they forgive you those mistakes and it's inefficient and expensive and, and maybe painful, but like usually crash planting crops, for instance, will probably turn things around. This is, this is kind of how you would survive in the impression city builders ages ago. Uh, is that, okay, you, you screwed this up and it's going to be inefficient, but now you're just going to slam down a bunch of the resource generators you need and you, eventually things will kind of stabilize. 
here, waiting for crops to come in, they take days and days to grow. And that is a long time in the game. And so if you are planting in reaction to uh, starvation, it's it's just too late. But I think tied to that is this notion that the next tech tier is also not going to get you out of whatever trouble you're in. Uh, the first few times I played this, I kept thinking, okay, well, clearly I just need to get to all these tier two, uh, technologies. And then there's some good stuff in tier three that I'm going to want. And so I am basically not going to do like, I'm not even going to mess around too much with these basic technologies. I am just going to run things on a, uh, sort of starvation uh starvation rations strip strip everything down and i'm going to hoard resources until i can start uh putting down the right infra infrastructure from day one but what i started to really realize here is that every step up that technology tree both the needs to make those new technologies work and the effects they have on your overall like input and output pipelines get more complicated. So it, it tier one, there's really simple like, ah, uh, you need, you need compost to produce dirt for planting. And that's a really simple relationship, right? You like, I'm going to create this compost pile and boom, I've got, I've got agriculture. But when you move it, up just a couple ticks to okay well i am like i've got a problem where there are way too many toxic gases uh floating around in here and i've got too many places that are badly ventilated so i'm going to begin purifying uh purifying the air throughout the colony and building a good ventilation infrastructure to address this problem uh to actually create an effective like air purification regime is so much harder than just saying, okay, like I'm going to pop down this, this tier one oxygen generator, uh, by tier three, that doesn't, that's not really the game you're playing anymore. Yeah. The, what, the best example I think of that is, uh, in the oxygen generators, the, uh, kind of one that you will spend most of your time in the early game with are just like piles of algae. Uh, and they're very slow, and eventually, <clears throat> eventually you will run out of algae. But they tend to be like pretty easy and effective, even if they make a bunch of polluted water, and uh, that tends to pollute the oxygen. So they're not they're not super efficient, but they're there. Then you go up to the one that uh, takes um, water and turns it into splits it into oxygen and hydrogen, and that's so much more efficient. You plug it in and it just starts churning out the oxygen. But there are two huge issues with it. The first is that eventually the top of your base, because hydrogen is lighter than oxygen, will become absolutely covered in hydrogen. So you need to have a plan to deal with it, that hydrogen. The second thing is that it, because it's like actively pushing the air up, it needs to be yes. in open spaces where the maximum air pressure allows it to actually get off its oxygen. And it can be difficult to actually go, because you only need like two or three of those where you need like 10 algae generators. Or not algae generators, algae piles, whatever they are. 
Uh, I wish there were algae generators, by the way. Well, I mean, if you have a lot of slime, you can turn it into algae right. at the risk of infecting yeah. your entire colony with a sickness that will drag them down and make them look really depressed when they work. <laughs> so, so, we all... so, yeah, when you, when you get to that second level of complication, the hydrogen and the gas pressure aspects of that make it so that you have actually created more problems than the algae had, which had like a couple very simple problems. Now you have complex problems, which can be solved if you say, all right, now's the time for me to build, start building gas infrastructure, capture all that hydrogen that's going up to the top of the base, because I have built a base that like channels all the hydrogen up into one specific spot, then put a, um, a gas pump there and start pushing that over to hydrogen generators that give you cleaner power than coal had. But now you have to balance the amount of hydrogen that you're generating with the uh, amount of power that you actually need. So you've added like three new engineering problems on top of one thing that seemed to be simpler. And like that's not to mention the way you need to possibly develop duplicants along a, a perk tree that allows them to specialize. So some of these machines might require you to have a certain type of miner that can dig a material that requires you to basically have invested their growth along this little path of like specialization. And the nice thing about specialization is that it means that your dupes can do these tasks that they otherwise wouldn't be able to, but at the same time, there's this thing called the stress bar, and their expectations for their quality of life increase as they specialize in their jobs. And so then you have to anticipate certain scenarios in your base that might upset the dupes and then like cause them to exhibit these pretty funny stress reactions, which include everything from like binge eating, which will, you know, wreak havoc because then your food stores are gone or stress vomiting, um, which is probably my favorite because I can sweep up the stress vomit and then send it through a water purifier and it adds to my water stores, <laughs> which is pretty bleak if that says anything about this game. Um, but the other nice thing about specialization, which is also one of my motivators for the game is like they get these cute little hats that they seem really excited to put on. And to me, what sets this survival sim apart from other ones and what a lot of Clay does as a developer is it's so infused with personality. I feel like it's so easy to listen to the description of this game and hear, that's depressing, like, why would I ever want to play this? And yet, failing is so much fun. Like, the ways that the base falls apart are almost always hilarious if you find things kind of darkly comic or bleak things to be funny. So I agree with that partially, especially the personality. Um, when this came out, like in early access a few years ago, uh, the easiest description I could have was that it was Fallout Shelter if this was an if it was an actual game instead of just a revenue generator. <laughs> oh um, no! Because it's that it's that level of cuteness. It might even be. It, I mean, it's a little more. I don't know. A little weirder than that, but it's it's that level of, oh, that's an appealing thing for me to look at. I like seeing this. Um, but I have very serious problems with the way that they have developed the uh, 
the way your duplicates progression works, because I think they had a really good thing throughout early access, and then they threw it all away a few months ago with whatever quality of life update it was, and now it's something that's incredibly annoying, and that makes this a really interesting game to discuss from, like, an early access point of view, because they changed something seriously in a way that I believe is, like, pretty much entirely negative, uh... I'm still fairly positive about the game, but it's like a B plus to me before where, or where before it would have been in the A range. And I don't know which version you played. Rob said he basically only started this one in the last few weeks. So I know he's only played it with the, the new perk one. Yeah, the most recent time I played it, I have to admit, was around May. And I kept up with it during a lot of the early access. And so I got to see a lot of those early bugs where a good example is like the priority system. And so you can assign different tasks priority. So you might want to set your electrical generator priority over something else because it's basically providing oxygen to your colony. Um, and I remember playing it when they added this like exclamation point thing, which meant, you know, this is the most important thing your dupes could be doing. It's mission critical. And at that point, they also had to work out the bug where a lot of dupes would do something mission critical, even if it was life threatening. Um, and then they would die. And around the time they fixed that bug and added in kind of the first cascade of specialization was, I think, in May around the time that I played it most recently. Well, I mean, you say bug, I say feature. But, uh... <laughs> Fair uh, enough. So, so yeah, there, earlier this year, there was a quality of life edition that changed how you progressed from something that was like natural background stuff where your dupes would, um, you know, if they dug a lot that they would get better at digging and when they got good enough at digging, you could give them a new hat. Uh, and that was all very exciting. Um, but recently they made the change and I think this was in March or April or so, but I'm not entirely certain where now your dupes, get like a general experience thing which gives them a skill point which you then assign to them wherever you feel like assigning it to them and uh this has added a whole new level of micromanagement to the game that i really dislike i also generally tend to very much like games where the things that you do are the things that your characters get better at like this makes sense to me it's simple it's nice uh um and then all of a sudden i'm having to click on this skills tree all the time and take a game that I had generally found to be not necessarily soothing, but a game whose like constant rhythms were a thing that I rarely had to get interrupted. And I very much like that. And now I have to like go through and interrupt myself and do the skills over and over. Another side effect of this, which seems to be the one that I've noticed most of the complaints on the forums about, because like I have my very personal quirks about how I like progression to work, and I'm not sure that everyone shares them. But another one is that this seemed to make the morale thing way easier to handle. Uh, in older versions of the game, like when you started getting to your dupes to the second tier of digging or whatever, they were like, I ain't lying in this room with other people unless you paint a fucking Mona Lisa on the wall. <laughs> and now, like, I get 60, 70 days in, and I don't see any kind of morale issue at all anymore, even though I have dupes with like six different skill points who have maxed out digging and construction and they're just happy as can be in their shitty little barracks. So uh, yeah, I, I really was very disappointed because this game 
Like, I had played this game at a point in my life where I needed a good stress reliever a year or so ago. Uh, I was like, I'm going to get really into oxygen and not include it again. This seems like this seems like what I need to distract myself. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then I came back to it in anticipation of its release. Like, all right, I'm going to, you know, get on 3MA, talk this game up real good. Uh, I'm going to, you know, possibly write a review or write something. And it's just like, wow, this is a massive step back from everything that I really liked about this game. I'm very sad that they did this. I'm really glad you brought that up, especially the bit about painting the Mona Lisa, you know, in the bedroom, because I also, I hadn't put two and two together as to that being the particular reason I felt less motivated to decorate the base. And now that you mention it, so for people who haven't played this game, basically part of what allows you to manage like your duplicate stress level and meet their morale needs is the aesthetic quality of the living space. And some of that means you cordon off certain rooms so that they have individual functions. And there's an overlay that lets you see that. So, you know, they'll get a morale boost if they have individual bedrooms. And the morale boost increases as you upgrade the bedroom from a cot to a nicer bed. And, you know, if they have a separate mess hall or if there are, you know, um, bathrooms, say. And another way to do it is by basically assigning a dupe or in the previous version of the game, the dupe would become better at it by doing it, but like an artist. And so you have your duplicates going around making paintings and carving sculptures. And the funniest part of the game early was that you, before the way the perk tree had been changed, there was a natural pressure to eventually start beefing up the decorations in your base. And because you weren't really allowed to assign a duplicate a specialization as an artist, they had to manually develop their artistry skills, which meant you had a lot of really janky looking, like these kind of like ugly heart sculptures around. And then, you know, eventually they paint a Mona Lisa, but the first things they paint were like, I want to say like weird clowns. It like, it was the difference between what looked like a five-year-old scribbling on a paper. And that would just be in like the nice bedroom and this was around the time where, in my playthrough, I'd usually finally be giving them individual bedrooms. And so I'd be sitting there like, your bedroom has a cot. You know, you have your own space. It's 16 tiles minimum, you know, and I put a potted plant in there. And there's just this scribble that looks like a five-year-old made it above your bed. And you're going to fucking love that bedroom because it's what I gave you. <laughs> the, the dupes and the quality of life. They also changed their name to principles, which I don't like. They're much better as dupes. Oh, I um, didn't know it changed that. That's such a bummer. Yeah, when, when you click on the thing, it says new printables are available, and I, I miss my dupes. I love well, the double entendre of dupe, right? No, they're still, yes. they're still dupes. It's the, 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 the printer will now offer you, like, emergency care packages, too. So you'll, like, I, maybe that's what, maybe they just made it a more inclusive term, because, like, Sometimes I'd be sitting there and I was like, ooh, that's a seed to a plant that I don't have access to. There's none growing near me. But I can have one printed here and I can cultivate it. Or I can bring in, uh, you know, James, who has a passion for plumbing and stress eats. So maybe that's just the, maybe that's the, maybe it was just a slight change in terminology for like what you bring through the portal. I feel like it's it's across more than that, but you know it's that yeah. was just a terminology change. Yeah. So I am, Rob, go on. Like I mentioned, how this was a climbing the ladder type thing. 
what point have you gotten to on the ladder since you are the newest of us? Oh gosh, um, let me bring up the tech tree real quick. Uh, basically, I've gotten to the point where you're starting to reclaim waste waste gas and waste water and treat it and bring it back into circulation. So, uh, so, so you've gotten into plumbing and now realize that you need a new source of water. I love plumbing. Yeah. In this yeah. I've gotten into plumbing and I've gotten into uh, gas levels and air... Pro- like, that's always there, but it's becoming way more pressing as an issue. Uh, which, I guess... Let me let me explain the thing that is the thing I think I'm starting to internalize about this game. So it's also like this is maybe an obvious statement for a game about colonizing a different world, but it is such an ecosystem game. And my tendency for a lot of reasons in management games is I love to go for the like giant soviet style pre-planned single source solution for all needs and what i'm realizing with this game at least is that those solutions don't seem to scale very well like my giant my my giant reservoir of wastewater um is not actually like it, it begins to feel like i would have been better off by having more distributed reservoirs of wastewater and smaller like cells of treatment infrastructure and plumbing rather than trying to network everything to like really large scale facilities uh, that try to service the entire colony because there are knock on effects from throwing the local balance of the, the local balance of the ecosystem off in one section of the colony. And those are the things that are continually tripping me up. Uh, And so like, for instance, I have a problem with like toxic miasmas uh, starting to fill the lower reaches of the colony. And there's still useful facilities down there, but workers going down into them are getting sick because they're in too close a proximity to vast uh vast reserves of like wastewater and treatment facilities um and so like that's kind of that's kind of where i'm at with this game is it resists my desire to route everything to one central area where i'm like ah here's where i'm going to take care of water um and it feels more like i need to be treating it as a series of key like local balances that i need to maintain so the big one that you would probably hit next is power. Um, not amount of power, but your wiring is absolutely shit uh, when you start getting into like coal and hydrogen plants, especially if you try to connect them all together. Uh, so you either need to like separate out the power. One plant does like five things, or you need to use incredibly expensive and uh ugly wiring that your dupes hate although now the dupes don't really care about that so much um that also doesn't go through walls uh otherwise your wires will start to burn out and you will not be able to have power anymore 
So like I'm I'm like you. I try to channel all the water into the same place, but then I have to do these really distinct power setups that are difficult to like make sure that they don't overlap. So yeah, that is an interesting sort of well, engineering problem. Ditto running like huge uh like huge strings of pipe to giant reservoirs. Uh the pipes fail. And so like wait, the pipes are failing? Yes. yes. Oh, the pipes are failing because you have the wrong water in your reservoirs. So it's it's bad water quality, like running through the pipes. I, I, I no, I don't even know if pipes should fail like that. Well, they they're failing, man. Seen. They get clogged sometimes. Yeah, they get clogged if your engineering isn't good. But I have never seen a pipe fail in the same way the water fails. I have had uh, dupes running around. I am pretty sure, like refabbing sections of pipe that like failed. Um. Right. Usually, like, it's not like an instant thing. It's like, it's just the pipe infrastructure appears to be going bad in places over time. And it needs to be serviced. But while it's being serviced, if I've created a massive endless chain of piping, uh, the amount of time it takes a dupe to run down there and do the service can cause uh, bottlenecks elsewhere. So, yeah, like... Uh, I'm running into just scale issues with. Uh... That is fascinating. I want to see your pipes, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> so I hit a wall where, as I was playing this game, I don't, I don't know if onboarding is the right word, but I'm just going to use it. Like the way you're kind of onboarded into how to engage with all these complex systems. There's like a series where they queue up, kind of hints for you but it is a bit overwhelming just the scope of the tasks you're expected to accomplish it may not be as overwhelming for people who are used to playing more survival sims but i found that looking at all these overlays so there's like a decor overlay and there's your piping your electricity and the one that i decided i just don't want to deal with this ever was a temperature overlay mm -hmm. And so I had my most successful playthrough yet. And the way I play this game is that I'll play it until something is so catastrophic that I just need a break. And it was really fun to do this during the early access period because I take a break. Because sometimes the thing that I hit my head against the wall for was it just hadn't quite been worked out yet by the developers. It was still a work in progress, which was nice because it narcissistically let me think the, the problem wasn't me. Like, oh, the reason I'm not building a successful base is because the game is still in early access. <laughs> and so I just ignored the temperature overlay for a very long time. And then I had mass collapse of my entire farm because all of the water going through the hydroponics had been overheated by the generator that had been slowly increasing the temperature in my one water tank. And at that point, I was reaching kind of like the steam vent and lava environment that you expand towards and all of this heat came rushing in and it just wasn't salvageable and I looked through and I felt like the only things you could use to cool the system in a snap were like these cooling fans um, but the real way to fix it would have been paying attention to the temperature overlay earlier <laughs> yeah that's temperature is my bed bar. Um, like I said, I've played this game, I've probably done like 20, 25 decent colonies that have gotten to a point where like the next thing that I have to do is temperature and I just cannot be bothered. 
Um, Same. <laughs> because temperature is like the all it is is one really big engineering problem where what you have to do is go find ice, freezing water or gas, and then pipe it through your building in a way where it radiates out, or your colony in a way where it radiates out in the way that you need it to. And it just seems like an engineering problem that isn't actually that fun. Um, in anticipation of finally doing this podcast, I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And it seems really hard. Like, my my I, I went into, like, an ice zone, started picking out gas from, like, coldest area i could find that i could put a pump in which was like negative 20 degrees fahrenheit and started running it into my base which was like in the 80s and 90s and it gets like heated up like 20 pipe squares into it and i'm just like oh god am i going to have to like insulate every part of this except have it radiate in like various places what what am i going to have to do here i don't yeah, so like that—that that is the big one that I think hits once you get sort of the basic ones, and seems to be like that's where I would say the the first half of the game ends, and it becomes a giant engineering problem after that. Um, because I've seen like some YouTube videos of some bases that have like they're fully fleshed out, and they have like gigantic central piping systems uh, where they're like five to seven squares of ladders with all sorts of pipes going up and down the ladders that the dupes are just like leaping across like little monkeys. Um, yeah. That's like, there's oil coming down one way and there's temperature going up the other way and there's water going a different way. And like, I'm just like, I am sort of amazed this game can support that. And also sort of amazed that a person is still finding this game fun in order to get to that point. Um, yeah, maybe it's just the temperature is the one that's not fun, and it gets really fun again after that. But I, I still have yet to, yet to actually cross that, um, cross that path or road. Road. That's the word I'm looking for. The feeling I get when I see those images of really developed bases is, I imagine the feeling a lot of people get when they watch shows about beautiful homes on HGTV. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I would really love that. And I'm sure there's a lot of investment of time and a lot of luck that goes into that. But I'm okay here from a distance. <laughs> I, I do generally feel like and this is a thing that's worth getting into. One of the really good things that they have done about it uh, is adding different biomes. Um, but the default thing that was the, the, only, the only way to play throughout most of early access um, I have just totally blanked out. See, I told you this was going to happen, Rob. No problem. Um, yeah, I mean, most of what I've been playing is with the starter, like, Terran biome set, uh, where it's, like, for instance, they just flood the uh, flood the level generation with whatever that oxygen-generating mineral is. Oxalite. Yeah, oxalite. And so it, it is a long time before you actually have to start sweating what your gas production and consumption rates look like. Uh, but I like did, I would have assumed that the game always would have been balanced around that. Uh, and that's where you would have started. Uh, but obviously you can, you can change what the default, what, what the sort of the hand you're dealt. Uh, this is, this is something that's brand new that they added for release specifically was that now instead of you have one particular type of planet where you start in the like sandstone and then you can go down into the poison or left into the water or right into the superheated stuff. 
um, now that's a little more random just on the default one, and they have like really different other planet options, presumably for people who have gotten so used to the game that the early game is incredibly easy, like myself. Uh, I wouldn't say incredibly easy, but the early game, it, it's going through the motions a little bit. Um, so now there's like lava worlds and ocean worlds where, or there's like worlds where you have an incredibly cramped starting position until you can get a digger who can really get through uh, the good stuff. Or, you know, the ocean worlds have salt water, so you need to push towards getting um, salt water salt water filtration, which is something that was added to the game like only very recently. I've never done that in Locks and Not Include game, but it's got to be like one of your top five priorities if you start on the ocean thing. So that's, that's an interesting way to, I think, keep the game interesting for people like me who have... Uh, you know, they don't want to go into the full-on engineering, the gigantic uh, colony that's fully automated, but they like the, the early game challenge. Um, so it, I, I talked some shit about the things that they added in recent months, but that one I think is, is an unambiguous good. I'm very curious about um, how many dupes you found as your sweet spot or principles. Like, how many do you tend to keep? Because I... I have some friends who played this who have printed out a ton of dupes to sustain their colony, but I found that every time there's kind of um, there's a peak work setting, but then I fail to bring my base up to speed to support all of them, and then they kind of die off in cascades, which is really depressing. And then I have all these graves around, and like them dying causes other dupes to die <laughs> she admits the, the, shamefully the, the funniest death i had death cascade i had pretty recently was like i got a steam vent very near my base early on oh god really good because those produce water but i spent a little too much time trying to build around the steam vent and i had a dupe die and i was just like they're constantly trying to go down and do this thing and they keep getting like scalded almost entirely to death and then i put up a grave like still in the scalding zone <laughs> then they just kept going to board this person who had died for being burnt to death or, i love this fainting for being burnt and then running out of oxygen in the middle of the like boiling hot water and then they just sat there getting scalded as they cried over this poor dupe's dead body that was that was a pretty amazing way to go um <laughs> I mean, I do like this game when it when it falls apart because like you're just running around a base that's covered in piss and vomit, and like everyone is crying, and uh, they're all gagging from lack of oxygen, and they're starving, and it's just like this is this is like a, a, a Marquis de Sade play come to life without the sex. Like it's I guess that the sex is pretty important, but. You know, George Bataille, Desaad, like all the all the disgusting aspects of human life that should actually kind of be celebrated. Well, this game celebrates them, and I do lo dearly love to see that happen. Although I've gotten to the point where I usually quit beforehand now. I always pick the dupes with narcolepsy. Like when you look at the certain weaknesses I yeah. have, it's yeah. it's like pretty bad for them to have narcolepsy, but it's also really funny to watch them fall asleep in the middle of eating or like fall asleep in an outhouse and then wake up really upset. Fall asleep <laughs> like hanging off of a ladder. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the narcolepsy is actually one of the least bad ones of those. Like it's the one that doesn't cascade. That's true. Like if you get someone who's like a stress vomitor, 
like, and then the vomit starts dripping down into your main water reservoir. That shit cascades in a hurry. Uh, but the, the sleepers are just kind of cute. Uh, but going back to your question, um, I tend to find like 12 to 15 was my sweet spot before the quality of life changes a few months ago. Um, and like after that is when the base starts getting to the point where I don't find it terribly interesting to like try to make it bigger. Um, but it's an interesting thing because going way back to like when it was very first released, like this was a game that was possible to achieve equilibrium in. Uh you, once you got once you started producing enough water to uh, producing enough water from polluted water in order to maintain your plumbing system, like that was basically sufficient to play the game forever. Um, so my thought at that point was always like, what if they kept adding dupes? Then you would have to continue expanding. But they instead always they always seem to develop in a different direction than i expected with this game which is something interesting and uh partially appealing for it but uh yeah they what they they never had like a, a permanent they never took off the reject dupe button um and they even added ways that you could add fun things that weren't dupes when you got the the dupe, new dupe every three days uh but like yeah there there is that sort of population expansion that seems like it has to come at some point and then also much more subtly going along with that uh when your base gets big enough you have to start deciding do i want to keep all my dudes sleeping in the same spot and then running constantly in order to get to those parts that are actually relevant and sort of going back to what rob said do i want to like have a base that's kind of atomized like have one part over in the left where like five dupes are and one part over in the right where five dupes are and then 10 in the middle or uh do i want to try to keep everything centralized which makes for some interesting little strategic decisions i think my favorite playthrough i named a dupe gordon ramsay put his bedroom right next to the kitchen and all he did was grill all day and then like walk two tiles and go to sleep <laughs> <laughs> was he happy yeah, he was stoked. He was probably the happiest one there. Yeah, I think for me, uh, north of eight dupes, it's not that it becomes unmanageable, but eight is when I stop feeling much of a connection to them beyond that. Like, at eight, it's like they all have their thing that I'm primarily using them for. And I think it's probably a wise decision, by the way, that while you can sort of specialize these dupes, and they have certain types of tasks and skill jobs that they can pursue and get really good at. Uh, for a good portion of this game, there are a lot of just basic tasks that everybody can pitch in on. And you don't have to, like, you don't necessarily, like, focusing on those efficiencies of specialization isn't going to make or break you in the early stages and i appreciate that honestly because it means that like i don't have to look at a disaster spill or a cave-in somewhere and be like damn i need to make sure my you know digging specialist is free right now and 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 send them over here uh it's everybody can can pitch in uh at those moments but beyond eight Beyond eight dupes, I stop really having a sense of being able to tell at a glance, like, ah, there's Cook. Yep, there's Scientist. 
ah, there's the doctor. Beyond that number, it begins to feel a bit like, um, you know, when when you're like a senior in college or something, you realize you don't know anybody at the school anymore. You know, it's just like, who are you? Like, you're just, I'm sorry. Who are you? When did you get here? Oh, you were, you were, you were, you were printed on cycle 22. Oh, okay. That's one of the interesting things about this game, because I thought the direction, when I go back to like how it has changed in ways that I did not expect, I thought the first direction they would try to go to was like improving the social aspect of the game. Because that's one of the things that makes RimWorld and even Dwarf Fortress so memorable is like these are very specific characters in those games that have very specific needs and you try to develop them or work around them. Um, whereas in this game, it's like the goal is to get to the point where you don't care about any individual dude. Like I had one where, you know, once I got to like 12, uh, I don't remember if this was the one where I, I had the cascading scalding death issue, but, uh, like one dude died and I realized eventually, wait, that one might've been one of my starting three, but I don't even remember by the name anymore. Uh, and I felt a little weird. Like it, it, it's cute, but it doesn't have as much of that like grabbing personality that some of the other survival strategy games have, which is a bit unfortunate. I think I'm torn about that. I think if it had more of that, I might be even more prone to getting stuck in those early game loops of, well, this colony was inefficiently laid down, so time to scrap it and, uh, you know, create a sounder foundation. I kind of feel a little bit relieved for by the fact that I don't have to connect too much with, uh, w- with these characters. But something I wanted to ask you about, because at least in my game so far... Um, Disease has been a pretty chronic feature of my colonies. Um, And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I don't like having outhouses too near where people like sleep and eat. Uh, So I make them march miles to get to the outhouse, but sometimes they can't make it and they have an accident. Uh, And then they've got soggy feet. And... uh, I don't know what I have to do to unlock sock drying technology. Um, It doesn't seem to be there, but people get soggy feet uh, from sort of wading through their own filth. And that's just how, how it goes. And then they start puking. But here's the funny thing though. I don't fully see the problem. Like it's not good by any stretch of the imagination. uh, But at the same time, Man, like, my chronically sick dupes still basically seem pretty productive. Um, it, I don't know. It seems sort of like they, they just sort of have adapted, uh, you know, rather like Tally and Mass Effect. Uh, yes, they're fragile and weak, but they're still, they're, they're still getting the job done. I'm curious, at what point, like, does it begin to hit a critical mass of illness? And, well, like, what what have you found to be the driver of that, that takes it from, okay, people are getting, like, sniffles and, like, getting stomach upset from sickness to, holy shit, outbreak is happening in my colony? So this is, I think, a thing that 
I don't remember if it changed with the same uh, quality of life patch or if there was a different one for medicine, but this is a thing that they specifically changed in the past few months as well, where they wanted disease to stop being like a thing that would just knock out your dupes and have it instead be a thing that you like could manage by using medicine in a way that was like more consistent, sort of like food. Uh, the, the, newer medicine production facilities are like set up pretty much just like your grills are um and i think it's succeeded at making disease just kind of a background noise of the game and like especially when they start getting slime lung and like just start or stop doing what they're doing and just start coughing for like 10 seconds which is a long time in dupe land um then your colony becomes just slightly more inefficient because you're not dealing with it. But there's not like a thing that says, oh, my God, I have to deal with this right now anymore. That used to be a, a much stronger part of the game. And now it's, uh, yeah, they, they've leveled that out in a way that I'm not sure was actually good because I basically don't pay any attention to medicine anymore either. I'm on the same page with you. I just don't pay any attention to medicine. When I played the game early mm. on, it was something that could just fully level me out like in Frostpunk when you have people who are sick and you have to put them in the infirmary and they're just someone that you know will continue to weigh on the system without necessarily contributing and then they became almost the entire priority and you had to get some sort of medical system set up whereas I'm at the point where temperature is gatekeeping my ability to kind of build my base at the next level and I still haven't really dealt with medicine I have like one, is it apothecary? I don't actually remember the yeah. name. And I have one dupe who is sometimes assigned to make medicine. And then periodically when the system as a total has slowed down, kind of like you explained, it just becomes less efficient. When it becomes less efficient to the point where I personally, as a player, feel annoyed, then I decide to make medicine. And I don't know if there's a way to have a compelling midpoint because I found myself getting really frustrated during early access when the game had kind of taught me the balance of the different systems and to have something like disease come in and totally flatten out my dupes felt a little unfair. But now it feels like disease just really isn't something I have to deal with at all. Um, but the kind of funny sidebar is when they made that change that dupes could continue to work when they were sick. They just were less efficient. I was like, ah, capitalism. I feel I relate with my dupes more now. So I sort of, I sort of wish there was a way to roll this thing back to February. Hmm. Yeah. I see. I don't know. Like it feel like what you're saying sounds like there used to be a harder game here or like some of these the the tightness of the loop between your fuck up and the death spiral was tighter and the thing that really started like made me wonder about uh disease was okay so going back to my giant um like hoover dam of wastewater that i built um it wasn't it was it was a bad scene down there um, there was, there was so much bad water down there that it actually began to stratify into like, there was usable light, lightly polluted water at the surface. Uh, it, it was weird. I was like, wait, is the water turning good? Because I'd effectively created a lake. Um, but the problem was, it was just also just like, ro like tons of just terrible gas and germs, 
uh, roiling out of this thing. And dupes had to keep going down by the... uh, They had to keep going down by this reservoir because I had left a lot of other... um, stuff down there uh just just some other like waste product uh locations i think there's still a toilet down there anyway people kept going down there and uh keep getting sick but eventually i also turned on uh so so i turned on sort of the um the disease monitor and i realized that i could sort of track you could almost draw you could almost trace a line uh, between the uh, like between the disease coming out of the reservoir area, up through the path that the dupes were tracing, uh, as they like left the reservoir area, entered like the farming area, entered the common areas, etc. And it's sort of like s like was there's this like long s uh through the through the colony, but also infected materials were starting to be put away into storage. And so some of my um, like storage vaults were also starting to become like amplifiers or like Wi-Fi boosters for disease. And it was propagating through my entire base. Uh, I think in this case it was it was slime lung for the for the most part. That was that was sort of the most common thing. Um, and you could see it sort of becoming endemic throughout the base. And I figured like, that's probably not good. Like it's everywhere. It was literally, it was literally everywhere to varying intensities, but it never felt like it became, despite it being endemic everywhere in the base, it never felt like it became an epidemic that I had to then like address. It just became, I didn't even have to put too much more into uh, medicine. Like, I think I had one doctor treating people and like an apothecary station, but for the most part, there didn't seem to be that much of a consequence between like, except that, yeah, my dupes were a little bit less efficient, but I had created, so I had created such a shitty base layout anyway, that, that that inefficiency wasn't making the big, the big difference. Um, and so I, I just, it's weird for a game to have such a detailed model for like how people can get like icky germy fluids on them and track them through the base or like get something bad into the air and have the ventilation system carry it through uh, for a game that has really detailed models for all this stuff. It's almost like they pulled their punch in making it making it land for you right like yes like it it propagates in a really convincing realistic and surprising way but because it's so surprising and hard to anticipate it's almost like they're afraid to really sort of thwap you across the nose with it It, i would say it definitely seems like they decided this game was too hard to release and took two of the the sort of most subtle long-term things that would stop you from taking the next step into the big engineering, uh, which were disease and morale. And they neutered them basically. It's also an interesting choice given the fact that one of the things that dupes regularly do, you know, like they have the specializations, but fundamentally they basically all dig, build and disinfect. And 
I don't know if you two have different experiences, but disinfecting, I kind of wonder if it actually does limit the spread of germs. Because I mm. basically, at one point, once I figured out disease wasn't really this big gatekeeper anymore, I just decided none of them would disinfect anymore. I was like, you're going to live in your swill, and you're going to be more efficient, and you'll be sad and sick sometimes, but that's fine. <laughs> Wait, so you turned off, because my, yeah, I figured it was because they were disinfecting that was keeping me ahead of it. Like, I had a few wash stations people were using, not enough. Um, also, I didn't, this game is really interested in the idea of you being concerned about um, like lab safety procedures, like when you're exiting this area, disinfect your hands in the sink. Okay, um, but it doesn't seem to matter that much. But I figured it was what I was being protected by was the fact that you effectively had people spraying clouds of like Febreze, DDT, uh, and rubbing alcohol at everything they touch. And I, that seemed to be my get out of disease free card. It's probably about as effective as antibacterial soap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but. No, like like I said, this changed dramatically when you were giving your example of how you had basically people going into the polluted zone. Um, back in the day, I used to have an airlock in a decontamination room and like set up a channel where the dupes could only get into the pollution zone one way. And now I'm just like, I'm going to set up a few sand cleaners uh, at the point where like, it goes from like the pollution zone to my base and that'll be fine. And so far generally it is. The sand filters are so great too, cause they don't require any electricity. So I just yeah. kind of spam them whenever I know something's going to create filthy oxygen. And that's kind of what I do instead of disinfecting also. Have you, have you noticed the bug where they decide that one particular square has to be disinfected constantly? I think it's really funny, and yeah, I have encountered it, but I, one of those playthroughs, though, I just kept playing. I don't know, I feel like a big part of my buy-in is when, when things get real strange, and so I had one playthrough where that bug was happening, and I had really, uh, it just made a really silly decision of putting the gravestone by, like, in between two hamster wheel type generators, and so... <laughs> My electricity providers were sobbing. Was black mirror? I was one of those kids who played Roller Coaster Tycoon, and yeah. and I would like destroy a segment of the roller coaster as it was like going on a loop de loop, or I would destroy the path, and this one little person would be lost and complaining and like sad and couldn't get out, basically. Or I would put a gate up by the entrance so they couldn't leave. Would you play The Sims and, like, delete the, the ladder into the pool? Absolutely. I, it does sound like you've, like, made this an ultimate capitalism simulator and the developers were, like, going along with this partially by accident. That's kind of accidentally what my boyfriend and I did in Stardew Valley. He basically named his farm Monsanto and then... We, that wasn't our only playthrough, but we did do one playthrough where we were like, what is the maximum dirt bag we could do with this? Well, and Stardew <laughs> Valley is a, a neoliberalism guilt simulator, so like that's perfect. <laughs> I'm still not totally sold in that analysis, but yeah, it, does, pastor, it does reward. The, the pastoral was tired in the 19th century, Rob. Mm. Uh, um, anyway, uh, 
another interesting thing about oxygen not included that because John is not here, I think is worth mentioning because we're sort of talking about the changes that have been made. Uh, most of the best survival strategy games are made by like incredibly small teams or one person. And this is the first time that we've actually had like a reasonable success of a survival strategy game that is made by a company, a team. Um, and the, there's something about the genre that seems to like demand a really intense level of obsession from the designer or whatever. Uh, and this one has somehow become at least pretty good, if not really good, uh, despite that kind of um, cooperation, necessary compromise between team members, that sort of thing. But I think it it's possible that the, the aspects of the game that uh, I am complaining about changing over the past six months were things that... Uh, kind of got compromised because it was a team that decided, oh, we actually have to try to make this into something that is uh, accessible generally, as opposed to I'm just making my dream game. If you guys are on board, you're on board. If not, then whatever. I'm still making it. So I'm a massive Clay Entertainment stan, um, and I'm really curious to see how they continue to push out updates, because I've I think my favorite game from them is Don't Starve. I probably play 10 to 15 hours of Don't Starve a week. At least I have been lately. It'll probably taper off. And their dedication to pushing out updates, and in the case of Don't Starve, it's often new characters and new environments, um, makes me wonder if there's a way they'll find kind of a happy medium between the things that we really enjoyed in early access that may be a little too punishing for people who, or I don't want to gatekeep, but just the idea of retaining a midpoint between punishing difficulty and having it be almost so easy that certain overlays become unnecessary. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's reasonable and like a slightly more, um, the slightly bigger option screen. I'm, I'm always into like having a whole bunch of options at the start of a game, but uh, I, I realize that it might be difficult for a game to be like old style character progression versus new style because they obviously have committed to new style. But uh, yeah, definitely more punishing disease would be a thing that would be worth looking into as on an option screen like that. Yeah, it's, it's tough because I think the thing I appreciated here was that while there are a lot of time, while there are always a lot of times where I want to quit and start over and do things a little bit better, um, I do appreciate that it doesn't feel like this is a game where you're basically doomed, but it's just going to take a while for the game to catch you up with that fact. Uh, like I feel like there is more reason to keep playing because yes, I'm going to continue uh, Basil faulting my way around this, this base and reacting to like one utterly foreseeable and yet still somehow unforeseen fuck up after another, but I can make progress within those constraints and see more of the game and learn more of its systems and get better. And then the next time I go through, I will have more that I anticipate. Whereas I think my experience with a lot of more punishing survival games is that the failure loops are so tight and they 
start tripping you up so early that it feels very much like um, the tedium of what actually learning via like a Groundhog Day construction would actually feel like, right? Where it's, okay, well, now I know a little bit more about this day. I've got to go and slightly adjust these basic opening steps and see what happens. Uh, so these these... These compromises they've made to maybe make the game less merciless with some of the ways that you can begin to spiral. Um, it's it's weird because once I begin to understand them, I find them a little bit unsatisfying in that I would expect them to maybe force me to find a more delicate balance than the game is really demanding of me. Um, but at the same time, that forgiveness the game shows you is undeniably the reason that I probably stuck with this game more than a lot of others and why we're doing a show on this one and I've tended to kind of ignore a lot of games like this in the past because I just don't have the interest and patience to stay with them so I kind of agree and kind of disagree in some ways uh, this game does have a lot of soft cushions because like it's an ecosystem game where you know not having enough water is a huge problem, and that's one that you will find kind of slowly see is happening, and eventually it will destroy you. But, like, uh, that's kind of a thing that you have a cushion. And, like, you, you mentioned the problem with food. There are actually two different cushions that you have with food where you can go search for hidden muckroot, which is pretty easy to dig for unless you have already done this. Um, or you can go hunt down all the little critters around your thing. That'll make it harder for you to ranch later, and it will mean that you'll have less food just kind of randomly appearing as you explore. Uh, but those those serve as functional cushions. The issue is that sometimes you get into something like the, the new XCON games have had, which we have talked about a lot, where like you don't necessarily know that you're making these long-term mistakes that could make it much yeah. harder for you. Uh, in the future, and this is in some ways less appealing than a game where it's like, oh, I did one thing wrong, now I know not to do that one thing, next game, let's start that over immediately and we'll be fine. Um, so this game is like, becomes less appealing than a rim world because of the temperature thing that is a giant, very slow, very cushioned problem that I'm going to have to solve and I'm just fundamentally uninterested in solving it, where RimWorld is like, oh, let's just make sure that, like, the guy I get to clean out my base and just make sure that it's, you know, stick and span isn't a psychotic murderer. Um, at, at some level, I feel that's more appealing. I really like that I have never failed the same exact way twice. And I like the fact that every following playthrough, I tend to overcompensate for the thing I failed <laughs> in the last time. And that often causes me to fail in a different area. But then by the time I've managed to kill my dupes because we ran out of water and therefore we couldn't have the algae piles functioning or a playthrough where I just ran out of oxygen, by the time I've overcompensated in figuring out how to basically perfect each of those systems at the level at which I'm playing the game, then I'm able to go through and have this playthrough maybe a month later where I feel like I'm just nailing it. And that way, when a longer-term problem comes along, I can more easily identify this is the next threshold for me to feel like my base has reached 
automation or maybe it's, you know, a coal generator or not overloading the wires I have or not setting all of my, you know, crops on, not setting them on fire, but like overheating them to death. It's also what, what you said about the early mistakes that you can make that seem like short-term fixes kind of cascading into longer-term problems. I think that's been a really large part of the long-term buy-in for me because there's a lot of games where I feel like I have early mastery and then I keep plateauing in a very specific area that I just can't get over. But in this game, I know if I tweak something, I'm so good at the early stages of this game, if I tweak something small, like I don't over farm or I'm a little better with how many water reservoirs I build and where I place them, that maybe I have a chance of not having the same problems I have later in the game. It's just crazy that this is the kind of thing where, I mean, it's this game and it's The Witness that made me go out and buy like a grid notebook. And I'll plan out like the plumbing systems I'm going to have way before I even have that because that's the kind of meticulous that this game demands of people, right? Like if you plan out where your bathrooms are going to be later, then you kind of know given where the water is just as it's generated when your base is created, then you kind of orient everything else around it. But I do like the fact that so many resources are in different spots. You can't fully anticipate what the layout is. But at this point, I do have certain things that I've, like I've dug into the subreddits and I've seen what other people have done and I've drawn mock-ups in the same way when I was playing The Witness. I would take a photo of the puzzle and just like try to figure out what the solution was and then keep copies of those for later puzzles so that I could build on them. But that's also just like the kind of person I am, the reason I love this game and the reason I love Don't Starve, where if the failures are funny enough and instructive enough, like I love a game that teaches me how to play it by basically positioning me for strategic failure. Have you heard the good news about 1980s RPGs? Because you could really get a lot of use out of your graph notebook. There. <laughs> Incredible. Like six up in here. Wow. The uh, planning, pre-planned plumbing systems was not something I'd foreseen. I don't know why I'm so into it. I just, I love the idea of a grid. I love the idea of having to figure out where everything fits. It, it tickles this part of my brain that was always really into Tetris. Yeah. There is a really interesting thing about this where, yes, it can be played in that very precise way, but also, in general, it tends to be a game that's like, don't let the, the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, like, a lot of my games are like, I don't play for six months, and then I come back and I'm like, all right, I know exactly what I'm doing, and then I decide that I'm going to spend the first six days trying to build the perfect water reservoir and, like, make sure that it all all the stuff from above and just to cascade through my bedroom without, like, destroying and flooding everything and just, like, go directly into the one place where I built something perfect, and that obviously, like, ends up making meaning that my dupes haven't actually been eating. Uh, so, like... It, there's there's a lot of cushions for not trying to do that absolutely perfect thing that I think does help this game a lot. Um, you want to not do the full Soviet pre-planning, as Rob says, but you want to do a little Soviet pre-planning. Um, also, something that I probably should mention here, because I'm surprised how well it works. For a game this complicated, I was really skeptical that a 
2D presentation like this, or or a a 2D sideways like ant farm style presentation would work well here. Um, in that it seemed like there would be too much going on for it to be legible. Uh, but the art is really good at setting the different things off from one another. Like you, even in really like complicated gnarly bases, I'm never sitting there looking at a mat. Like I never have the like mass of tangled power cables that I discover like behind my computer. I don't have the uh, oxygen not included video game like equivalent of that usually i can always figure out what i'm looking at i know exactly like what materials there are what building materials were put in there what pipes are going where that's not the thing that's tripping me up the thing that's tripping me up is making the necessary connections between this small section of the map i'm looking at and then the longer macro plan i have for the colony and the existing infrastructure I've got. Um, so it's really impressive to me how effortlessly this game wears a pretty significant degree of complexity. Yeah, I, I would say that the user interface is pretty good, which is probably really good given the complexity of the genre, but the user experience, especially visually, is extremely effective. This is way more accessible than, you know, the Dwarf Fortresses and the Rimworlds that I have mentioned. Um, but it's just, the game looks good and you can understand what's going on pretty quickly in most ways. And that's a huge achievement for a game like this. Like, this is not a genre that you usually would expect would grab people. Also, Rob, to your point about how this kind of, like, zoom in on the system you have fits into kind of the macroscopic view of things. I find that the other point in which I'm playing this that I frequently nope out of the game is when I've developed on the perk tree and then I realize I'm going to have to destroy significant portions of what I've already built. Yes. Fuck. And it just makes me so mad. I'm like, this game asked me to dump in hours into developing the perfect equilibrium and the only reason I'm developing my perk tree is that there's a single resource that I just can't find a substitute for that requires me to do a little more research to find something that might balance out what's missing. And in integrating this new system, I'm like destroying all of the bedrooms. And I think there's something impressive for the fact that it's the eco the ecosystem so tight that it it requires you to do something that you're really hesitant to do, but it is also the reason that I've become this person who's mapping out everything ahead of time, because I'm like, if I don't leave this big space here, I'll have no place for the toxic chlorine to go, and then everyone's going to suffocate, or just something as trial and error as don't put the bedrooms at the very top, or the hydrogen will get them, and don't put them too low, or the carbon dioxide will get them. And the realization that might be a moving target, too, where, like, the... A uh, toxic gas chamber may eventually move higher in the in the strata, uh, while a nice bedroom or common area opens up in the middle. But but yeah, like I I have that exact feeling of no, I had a pretty decent layout, but now I've got to shred parts of it to install this new 
uh, infrastructure. And in the long run, it'll be good. But man, is it going to be disruptive? Um, I haven't really gotten good at, at, at making those reforms. Um, and it's just like, oftentimes it's not enough to simply destroy, like the pain of destroying something you built isn't just kind of the, the gut wrench of I made this and now I have to destroy it. It's like, I can't destroy this without venting everything in it somewhere else. And where am I going to put this before I build the new thing to which it's supposed to siphon into? And what's the order of operation? Am I going to build the new tank? Am I going to siphon it into some area that's undeveloped, but pretty sequestered? Um, and like, how am I going to have the dupes tear away from the things that they have to do day to day in order to just maintain the livelihood of the base in order to complete this expansion plan, basically? Well, uh, I have to say, like, I like my first few hours with the game were really forbidding. Like, I kind of ran screaming from this and started to run to different guides. What was interesting was so many of the guides being like, yeah, hey, uh, you're supposed to feel kind of overwhelmed and baffled, but here's some good starting principles. Um, but when I did finally make time to just start hurling myself at the game, I was pleasantly surprised by how much the experimentation of Oxygen Not Included remained fun, as did the frustrations, uh, without necessarily leading me to that point where I'm kind of paralyzed by the complexity. Uh, the way that, say, rejiggering a simple highway interchange in city skylines would frequently be the end of my love affair with one of my cities. Where I'd be like, fuck it, I hate this, this is too hard. Uh, oxygen not included, I kind of remain curious like how it's going to change as I develop my my colony. And also, you know, as you pointed out, Nicole, it's it's kind of fun to watch things go wrong here. It's kind of fun to watch the loop, the, the virtuous uh, circles break and the negative feedback loops begin. All right. Any closing thoughts from y'all or. I mean, I think this game is a really good example of the survival strategy idea. Um, there are sub aspects of it that kind of keep pushing me away at a level that make it hard for me to be like, yep, Oxygen included, best game of the, the type that you can get, but like there's not a huge amount wrong with this. This is a good time. It once you like get the basic core of the interface down and realize that uh failure is pretty entertaining and probably necessary as you like learn the ropes, uh this this game will this game will work for you. I think my takeaway from this game is just I love things where failing is funny. I feel like there are a lot of games where the calibration of failure, for example, if you're playing a platformer, it can feel really terrible if you die. And it's because it was something about the game feeling unsatisfactory, like the calibration was somehow off. But if it's a challenge that I feel I'm one step away from solving, I'm always happy to open it up, especially for a survival sim type game where I find myself sucked in and I just want to play one more day. And even when something has a catastrophic rate of failure, I'm often happy to go back into a previous save file of the colony and just try and see what that little spike that set off the cascade was so that I can do a better job next time. 
and knowing that the failure will always be funny basically keeps me coming back. And I think I enjoyed this game quite a lot. Like this is something I sunk over a hundred hours into something I'm still playing and something I'm really excited to see develop as more updates get pushed out. Uh, well, that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, this episode was produced by Alicia Akampora and through the head is, is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at throughwhosahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Through Who's Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Nicole and for Rowan, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. <laughs>